how can people get access to this content? Is there some way still to do that? that yes, we- yes. Um, so uh, those who attended virtually, I think they have a seven days to watch it. Um, but I think we're actually going to close. I think we might, might have put a cap on that. So we hired a really good film crew to film the whole thing with different angles and everything. So they're going to spend about, it's going to take about six weeks of editing. And then we're going to release a digital version of the conference that isn't just, it's not just the virtual, you know, just the one camera or whatever. It, it's going to try to mimic the live experience with close up shots, different angles. Okay, yeah. Um, nice. It's going to be presented really well. You know, these guys okay. are amazing. So that should be done. I think about six weeks from now. So people, can, and I think we're going to make it in bite-sized chunks so that people can kind of purchase like the race three hours, the sexuality three hours, whatever, yeah. just in case they didn't, weren't interested in the whole thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the theology and the raw website, theology and And then, uh, yeah, look for that in six weeks or so. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. This is going to be um, a different sort of episode. <laughs> little impromptu. little impromptu. Une- unexpected. Let me set the context. I'm not 100% sure when I'm going to release this. Um, we're recording this Sunday. What's today? Third? April 3rd? It's third, April 3rd. So I might release it the 4th. I'll check with Miles and see if he can have a heart attack if I say, can you whip this thing out for tomorrow morning? But we'll see. Um so um, I'm here with uh, Dr. Ed Yuzinski, longtime, longtime friend, and uh, both Ed and I, well, yeah, we, we just did the Theology and Raw Exiles in Babylon conference, which I hosted, and Ed was a speaker there, um, taking part of the race conversation, and um, Ed and his wife, Amy, they hung out in Boise for a couple more days, yeah. and man, we, I mean, we go, gosh, yeah. Go As back we, a ways. We go back a ways, and um we just decided, having done a three-day conference... Hey, we're, the, we're the last two standing. <laughs> we, we might as well pick up the scraps and, and, and yeah. see what came of it all. Why not? And I don't know if it's your idea or my idea or maybe joint. We just kind of we kind of finished each other's thoughts anyway. But I, I was like, man, it'd be cool to kind of debrief yeah. on the conference. But for me, just to do that by myself isn't... I mean, it could. it's not... I'm sure that would be fine. But it's just by myself, and it could feel kind of disingenuous too. So I said, "Hey, um, disingenuous is that disingenuous? D- disingenuous is what I was, yeah. and I don't even know if that's true." But right. I, yeah. well, I because said, it's your conference, right? So right. you know, is it just you kind of framing the questions the way I want yeah, them the frame, debriefing <laughs> the way I want to debrief? So I said, "Hey, why don't you? Can you debrief with me? You interview me, and we just talk through, just kind of reflect on the conference. There's no real agenda. I don't. I don't even know." <laughs> this is gonna go well or not? But both of us are—I don't put your words in your mouth. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm ex- still exhausted, yeah. but extremely happy right now. Yeah, happy is a good word. Satisfied. Satisfied. Felt, felt like we just got to be a part of something uh, that was special. You know, I've been—I've been. I've been around the, the ministry circles for a few decades now. So I go to retreats, conferences all the time, as I know probably a lot of our listeners do. And, and uh, you know, sometimes it's just about the content when you go to a, an event. It's just about the content. But sometimes there's something additional 
where it feels like the community is having some kind of an experience together. And I've felt that at different times, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in different places. And I definitely felt it in these last mm-hmm. few days mm-hmm. that there yeah. was just something qualitatively um, exceptional going on that I know people probably didn't even want to leave. You know, you can only take so much content in. Yeah. So there is a limit to where it's like, I can't do anything. It could not have done any so longer. Much. I feel like it was a perfect time. Uh, me think. too. Yeah. Me too. And yet still a longing for, there was, like I said, something just qualitatively that was there that you want to capture and be able to reproduce and keep experiencing, yeah. you know, back home, in which we can talk about that. Yeah. Why don't you talk about, again, because not everybody even knows what this was. I know yeah. you've, been, yeah. you've been promoting it for months now, and it's been on social media, but what just happened? Who all took part in it? What happened? How yeah. many people were involved? <clears throat> so it was a three-day... Um, well, no, I guess it would be a 48 hour conference, uh, Thursday night, Friday, all day, Saturday morning. Um, it was a Theology and Raw Exiles in Babylon conference, first time we've done anything like this. And it was, um, I wanted it to be a conference that, this is good, it's kind of helped me reflect on kind yeah. of how I would even, it's almost like I felt in my heart what I wanted it to be. I don't know if I could even articulate in words what I wanted it to be, but yeah. I love the church. I love good preaching. I love deep, deep theological dives. I love meaningful worship. I love authentic relationships. Yeah. I love talking about the hard things. I love church unity. I love being able to disagree with other people while humanizing each other. Um, I love learn genuine learning, not canned learning. And I think most people know kind of the difference there. Um, yeah. I like asking genuine questions and receiving informative responses that cause me to think, you know, just, just who I've been the last, I mean, hopefully forever, but especially the last 10, 15 years, you know, like I, yeah. So, so I wanted the conference to be that, yeah. <laughs> whatever that is. Like, and, and honestly, I didn't have it real ironed out. I mean, I, I, the flow, the people and everything, everything was just kind of like wake up one morning and said, Hey, I think this person should be a part of it. I'll invite them. And, and Hey, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. It didn't, there was a ton of time and effort in, into working out the details, but in terms of like the flow of the conference, that was just, it, it just kind of was more intuitive too how we yeah. put it together. Um, so yeah, that's, the outcome, you know, I said at the opening night that, we, you know, what's my goal that we would love, that we would um, think more deeply and love more widely. Like I'm a big heart and mind person. If it was just an amazing worship experience, which it was, I think, um, that I still wouldn't have been satisfied. I've been, I've been in, in amazing yeah. worship um, environments, but I don't, and I've been in deep theological environments. I don't think I, and in, in debating environments, I don't think I've been in one that kind of pursued all of those together and not I, see I, I'm gonna be so hesitant to even say therefore we nailed it that's not my intention I, I wanted to create an environment where we would we would not shrink back from talking about Greek words yeah the, the, you know um, Sandy Richter <laughs> yeah. doing her no. thing like <laughs> and I, I, I've heard Sandy give that talk before at the theological conference and it was the talk was amazing. The environment was dry and stuffy and boring. And, you know, there's, you know, yeah. I'm like, and I've been in Pentecostal worship services where, you know, 
<laughs> yep. So you, just, had, you well, you had all the raw materials that you wanted, and uh, and again, I was just kind of thinking of a salad. You you threw them all together like mm-hmm. a salad, yeah. mixed it up, and we'll see how it yeah. comes out. <laughs> exactly. Right? We'll see what exactly. It. And there were again, just let, maybe we'll uh, say what were the different segments. Yeah. And if I'm if I understand what happened, there were about a thousand people that were there yeah. in person, and at least another thousand, if not more, yeah. that were participating online. So it was a couple thousand people. Yeah. Pretty close venue, right? Yeah. We weren't all scattered out. It was really interesting. It was maxed out. The place was yeah. maxed out. It was, I think, 10, 50 or 1,100 is what we had okay. in person. That, that was like the fire. If we had any more, the fire department would have gotten a call. Yeah, dang near standing room only. And people <laughs> yeah. were, were in there the whole time, right? People were wanting to get in there on time and were enjoying it. What were the different segments? And we don't need to go mm-hmm. into detail, but again, yeah. just so people know the kinds of things we were talking about. I think each segment kind of had its own yeah. vibe to it. And that, you know, even before I even mention that, it's kind of cool because I didn't have it really ironed out. It's not like I said, here's the three, four categories I want to talk about. Let's find the people. I would kind of find somebody, then think of a category, then find another person, think of a category. Okay. And so it kind of meshed together. I th- it ended up turning out where I'm like, oh, I'm, I really want to do this every year like this to where there's kind of four different main topics. Um, you know, Thursday night, one topic, Friday morning, one, another topic. Friday afternoon, another topic. And I think I like the idea of having kind of a dialogical debate about a theological doctrine on Saturday and close us off with something else. So um, one of the more less defined themes was our political identity, our identity as Christians in the midst of politics. And that, you know, Francis Chan, that first night focused more on unity in the church. I said a few words about just kind of what does it mean to have an exilic identity, Ellie Bonilla, you know, kicked us off with a barn burner of a talk to open us up along those lines. And John Tyson on the back end yep. talked about, kind of brought us back to that theme of living as an exile. Um, Friday morning, we, it was all about sexuality and gender. Um, and one talk on women in the Bible. And then uh, f- Friday afternoon was all in race. And then Saturday morning, we had a um, dialogical debate uh, on on the nature of hell, whether hell is eternal conscious torment or annihilation. Um, yeah. So some of the speakers and, you know, I, I know a lot of people listening already know, but we had, um, yeah, Ellie Bonilla, I'm kind of going order. Ellie Bonilla, uh, myself, obviously, uh, Francis Chan next morning, Jackie Hill Perry. Then we had, uh, four testimonies from Greg Coles, Tony Scarcello, uh, Johanna Marie and, um, and Kyla Gillespie. Yeah. Friday afternoon. I hope I'm nailing it. You're checking me. You're, uh, you're okay, doing good. pretty good. Are you okay, okay. Keep, keep going. Wow, I'm marinated. In <laughs> Friday afternoon, we had four 18-minute talks from people on race. So Ed gave an overview of critical race theory and basically said most of what we think about critical race theory is BS. Or most of what is said about critical race theory is just simply a caricature, sometimes just not true. Then we had a Thibidi Anyabwale. We had Derwin Gray. And then, um, well, Derwin ended it. We had Kimi Katiti speak as well. Saturday morning, Gary Brashears and Chris Date had that dialogical debate. And then um, John Tyson closed us off with the XL talk. Wow, yeah. excellent. That's, <laughs> well, this that's is the good. one. I, mean, <laughs> I know, but I, I know that was, that was great. So what, let's just start here. Some general reflections, like just step back from it. It just ended. The dust is barely settled. You're walking away from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, things really did go, uh, uh, pretty much without a hitch, you know, it wasn't yeah. like there was any significant redirect that had to happen. What you just described is is what happened. Yeah. Um, and so, what is what are just some general takeaways? I'm I'm pretty self critical and a perfectionist, and I would say 
I, I'm so satisfied. And I rarely say that about a books I've written, podcasts I've done. Like I honestly, in my experience is different. You know, I'm managing the whole thing. My head is thinking timestamps and what I'm going to say in announcements. And we went too long here and this, you know, there's a lot going on in my brain um, on stage. So I don't feel like I got to enjoy the conference the same way other people did. And yet for sure, I was able to hang with speakers in the green room while we're like, you know, when you set a point and everybody's like, Oh dang, you know, and then you say something else. It's like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, or like, Oh, he better say this. Or, um, so I got, I, I got a different experience, which is amazing too. So I, that, you know, I had a wonderful weekend, but, but then you're always thinking about the next oh, thing yeah. too. Right. And you, yeah. you did a bunch of, yeah. you know, couch time with different people and interviewing. Right. Them. Uh, and you know what? We forgot about street hymns too. That was the only piece street we hymns. Left that street hymns. Oh my gosh! Street, spoken word. Bro. Yeah. So street <laughs> gave two spoken words. One on the first night with um, politics, a political identity. And the second one with the race conversation. That's yeah. second. Both of them. <laughs> they were first hot. of all, street. I mean, nobody on stage was an average or below average speaker. I mean. Every time I heard a guy, I'm like, oh, I was the best one so far. And I heard another one. I was, <laughs> was the best. So there is, there's good. no, I will say that um, the sheer talent, I, I don't even want to single anybody out, but I, I, like Ellie Bonilla and Street Hymns, maybe because their talks were so, there wasn't a single wasted word. Good. Yeah. They're both brilliant thinkers. So, th- yeah. so there, there wasn't a th- thoughtless word. And yet there's an artistry there. Yeah. And 100% memorized. Yep. You know, I don't know if I'm supposed to say... And, and largely made made up pretty close to the event. Let's just say it oh, like that. Gosh. I know that from having been their van driver, yes. that they were they were still refining lines and ideas <laughs> yes. as, as they were headed to the stage. So the talent... The, I mean, it takes... I write out something. I could spend hours trying to memorize it, and I'll yeah. forget 60% of it <laughs> if I don't look at my notes and everything. Like, I... Um, and those guys, they didn't, they walked on stage confident as all get out because of, they believe in what they're saying and they just blew the roof off. Well, and you, you mentioned that Preston, I would say one of the things that kind of stuck to me apart from the actual content, which you just wanted to take notes on every bit of everything Mm -hmm. that happened, the couch times, the spoken word, the, the actual lectures, um, was just being being blown away by um, the ability to process so much information. Yeah. So I felt that with yeah. uh, with Doctor Bashir's and uh, yeah, and that Chris. was heavy. Yeah, yeah, and just the the, the way they went through their material, mm-hmm. um, you felt like you were with people who were using God giftedness to mm-hmm. serve the body. Mm-hmm. Which again, maybe that that doesn't sound like it's that big of a deal, but it was like every single person that went up there. Uh, just felt like you knew what they were doing, and there was sort of a, a uh, I don't want to say an awe, but a healthy respect for the gift yeah. that yeah. they had, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's, I think, you know, I wanted it to be different. Like to have, and we didn't even talk about the worship yet, we can go there in a second, but to have worship in several languages with different styles too. I mean, there was a lot of, I guess, mainstream evangelical songs being sung, but there was a few that weren't that. And for sure. And then some other styles that were in there. And I think there was like five languages represented, four or five languages represented. Um, so, um, and, and, and the talks too, all the way from like a, a hell debate, which was deeply theological, Sandy yeah. Richter going 
you know, getting into the Hebrew and ancient Near East background of Deuteronomy, you know, 21 verses 22 to 27, whatever it was. It, it was staggering. It was, it was a it, stunning talk. And yet very, I mean, you could follow it. Yeah, so it really was. It was clear. She's such a yeah. good communicator and so relatable and yet was going to some places that I've not been to myself, <laughs> oh my right? And and so it, she was just a tour guide of of the, the you know, Hebrew literature and history and yeah. Okay, but keep going. Well, then that, so you have that, and then you have like street hymns coming out and giving an, an intellectually profound, yes. prophetically challenging, borderline uncomfortable talk. Yeah. <laughs> Reconciliation. I don't, I'm not even going to attempt to repeat, but pushing like in his spoken word, which is truly artistic and entertaining. You could have been anybody and you would have been impressed just with the artistry of what he was doing. Yeah. But then the content of what he was talking about. Reconciliation is when you had a prior relationship. We have not had a prior relationship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he threw out like what was it, conciliation or or reparation or like yeah. here's some other terms, man. And just just so your heart is being moved by the artistry, your imagination is being provoked, and your your mind and heart is being challenged. Your your version of Christianity is being confronted. <laughs> yeah. That's what I wanted, man. I wanted, I, I, when I open up saying, I want this to be disruptive. I wrote you down that, that word. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that, I toyed with whether I should even say that word, but I'm glad I did. And I think now, I think people wanted, I think most of them wanted that. And I think leaving, it's like, oh, I would almost say if the one word, how, what, how would you describe the conference? I almost want to say disruptive, not, not in a negative, like it can be taken negatively, but would you? Yeah. Uh, well, here, let me say it like this and see if you agree or disagree. It was disruptive without being antagonistic. Yes. But yes. And I don't, maybe, maybe that one word isn't the, I mean, because it was so encouraging. So I think, I think people were very encouraged too. What just but, forced um, you to have to think and rethink in all those categories. Again, yeah. the reason why I say without being antagonistic, it was right. not a confrontation. No. It was it was um, taste and see, yeah. Taste taste and see what you think in all in all of those categories. Here's here's the here's the argument for why we're thinking this way. And in some cases, it was just people's personal stories yeah. that are disruptive. Mm-hmm. It's just to mm-hmm. hear someone's personal experience uh, that forces you to have to rethink because you've not had that same experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so we were we were being challenged to maybe develop new categories, rethink categories that are already in place. I just felt like there was a lot of that going on for myself. So I'm guessing that was true for for most people that were listening, just having to rethink, Mm -hmm. not agreeing with everything necessarily, right? So that creates more questions that you And not feeling the need to. I think that's what people appreciated. Okay. There's strong opinions in the room. I, I got strong opinions. There's stuff said on stage. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure I buy that, you know, but, but being, but being, but but welcoming the challenge. Maybe that's why sometimes disruptive is like if you're not welcoming the challenge, you can be disrupted in a offensive, negative way. But if you're wanting to be challenged, then the word disruptive might be like, yeah, that's that came to be disrupted. You know? Okay. So speaking of the content, and there again, there was so much. We're still. I mean, we're less than 24 hours away from. <laughs> Gosh, the, I slept so hard last. The night. end of it. Yeah, you're still in a little bit of a fog, a oh, post-conference my word. fog. Oh, my word. But what what did stick to you? I mean, I've been thinking about that <clears throat> yeah. for myself. What were the kinds of things that stuck to you content wise? Were there any? I mean, all again, all of it is worth thinking about more. Mm-hmm. Of course, you do it all the time on this yeah. podcast. But were there were there any things that just kind of rose to the surface? I mean, there's all there's so much, and it's part of it's just the way my mind works, and I'm 
I guess it's easier to share this on the podcast because unless you're a first time listener, if you've been listening, you kind of know the strange place inside my, <laughs> the strangeness of my mind. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I'm constantly, even as I was talking, I'm like, I'd probably challenge that if I was in the audience. You know, like, okay. um, like I, I'm constantly, maybe, maybe to a fault. Like, so yeah, there's tons of stuff where I'm like, I'm not shy. I would need to, you know, um, I need, I need more thoughts. You know, Francis is Francis, you know, he's Francis. Um, yeah. And just gave a, his talk might've been the most uncomfortable. And he, yeah. Talk, um, talk about that a little bit. Well, he he just comes out with the bread and wine, sets it on the table, and just <laughs> launches into the fact that for 1,500 years, a church has... This is his opening line, right? For 1,500 years, a church has kept the, the Eucharist at the center of worship, and then we replaced it with a pulpit, and that's where we are today. Yeah. I mean, that was just like our first line. Yeah. And then goes into um, 15, 20 minutes of... Basically, a, a pretty much an Eastern Orthodox view of communion, which is like real presence. Like maybe not quite. Although he almost went full Catholic when I asked him on that. He, he uncomfortably for probably a lot of people. <laughs> to like, your point is the bread and wine, the literal blood and body of Jesus, and he didn't hundred percent say yes, but he didn't want to say, yeah, it's just just a mystery. Like there's something very real here, and I, I would have to go back and look at. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but. Um, he definitely very much real presence. This is the body and blood of Jesus. Wait, is this his physical flesh? Well, I don't know. He just, he he seemed to be, um, disenchanted with how easily the communion service in too many places has become trivial. Yes. Where, where we've, uh, just a symbol, just a symbol, nothing more. We're not Catholic. We're not Catholic. Exactly. We're so scared of being Catholic. So it's not that, it's not that. Yeah, so he's expl- it just sounds like he's been exploring what it means for it to be more significant and retrieving what it had previously been. That's why he started it there to say this has always been the centerpiece of a worship service for Christian people. And now in a lot of places we don't even do it or we do it once a month or whatever. Again, everybody's got their different ways of approaching it. But the thing that's in common is that it just becomes trivialized it becomes secondary mm-hmm. to the sermon right. it becomes secondary to my experience of yeah. the you know music and worship and i here's where i'm in hunter and i don't know enough about shows my lame cards you know like i don't know enough about that topic to like have strong opinions i'm definitely not on the sim- i think it's more than a symbol i i the minimal study i've done i'm like yeah it seems to be s- stronger than just a memorial just a symbol there's nothing really going on here. It's just a, a way for us to remember. I, I, yeah. I, I see John 6 and 1 Corinthians 11. I, th- I think there's just stronger language here. Um, and the weight of church history means something. Um, I'm not, I don't know if I would be where, where Francis would be at, but here's the power of that message. I don't know if anybody knows it. Well, a couple of you know it because <laughs> he did this, but after the service, these guys come up. They were so obedient to what he said. Did I tell you this? No. After his message, they left, went to the store, bought a bunch of bottles of wine and bread, brought it back. So they're like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. And here I am running a conference where I'm like, my mind is like so excited that they're being obedient. But they wanted to have communion for everybody. Well, and then they said, oh, we came back to, you know, they kind of ended and like, what can we do? And like, can we do it tomorrow or something? In my mind, I'm thinking I would have to cancel. Do I tell Jackie L. Perry, hey, all right you're canceled because we're going to do communion. <laughs> like yeah. somebody, something would have to be canceled. There's a, this is the, this is the lame thing about trying to do an authentic conference. There still is timestamps. There still is lunch that need, you know, there's still, 
Well, there's um, people that left everything behind. And Jackie Hill Perry's, you just had a baby three months ago, and she came very specifically yeah, yeah. to be able to speak right. to everybody. Right. right. So I'm here, I am, and I'm exhausted that night trying to figure out, like, how do I nurture this obedience? So we end up saying, I, I don't even know. I honestly don't know. I said, hey, maybe tomorrow lunch we can, I'll find somebody. I think I told a buddy of mine, like, hey, let's get these guys a cardboard table. We can have available to somebody, anybody who wants to take it, you know, okay. just, just so. I don't know, but just stuff like that. Like I, I, that's pretty rare where somebody would go out because they're so moved by what this person said, and that their their response is just okay. Let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> about that. Yeah. Hopefully they didn't just go back to their room and get drunk for the next 48 hours. <laughs> Here's another hard thing is Calvary Chapel doesn't allow alcohol on the premises. Oh, they don't. No. Okay. So I was actually violating they they unknowingly. But me by you know even by me saying hey why don't you serve communion outside, I, I was violating their stand their church stand. I would assume if it's I almost said something really negative. I would assume they would make an exception for a religious practice as a Christian church. Okay, right. I would hope, Can somebody well, push back on that? Push back on me if I'm not if I'm being too that a Christian church would make an exception for communion wine. If they say no, we can't have communion wine on our premises. I would, I would, I would challenge that. I would significantly challenge that. But whatever. This is, I'm not. I'm, it is my home church. I attend there, but I'm not. You know, I don't have any. Um, so I would need. I, I probably sh- maybe I should have honored their policy, regardless of whether I have theological issues with it. Why would they not? Why would they not let it on there? Do you know? I don't. I. I would need. I, my assumption is we have alcoholics here, and you okay. know, um, it could be a stumbling block or something. Which again, I would challenge that logic. But I would. I would assume that that. You know, um, I, I. I do think it would be good, I, and then maybe they did have a grace a grape juice option too. Okay. Um, the early church didn't. No, they so did. I don't. The know. point. Jesus though, didn't. Jesus didn't make that. Exception. He turned. And I, I don't know what to do with that. And I'm not even saying that's r- right. Am I saying Jesus wasn't right? I, um, I, I want to be very respectful for, I, I haven't had this history, like my family or me or, you know, but like, I know people who have had horrific experiences with an alcoholic home where I want to, I want to be very sensitive to, to that issue too. So yeah, I don't know. We're, we might be getting too off. For sure. Topic, well, we did dive into this probably deeper than we wanted to, but the point of the whole thing was, and we were, about, we were talking about being disrupted by content and, and. And what Francis did, at the very least, had to make us all rethink yep. the place of communion yes. in our lives. Have we That's let it become? Goal. Have we let it become trivial? Whether we're going to follow Francis into his uh, journey and where he's going with it was not mm-hmm. so much the point, and it wasn't his point either. It was that this should not be relegated to, to some yeah. side issue, yeah. and that's disruptive. Yeah. If it's yeah. been that way for mm-hmm. for you as a listener. What would you do differently? And again, I know your mind's always thinking, you just said that you think kind of perfectionistically. Is there anything while it's still fresh that you think, man, I wish we would have done more of this or mm-hmm. um, we're me, missing some I, piece of it? I don't think I actually fully answered your first question. What sticks out the most or okay. what was the most memorable? Keep going. For, and, <clears throat> and this is a very subjective, this is me, where I'm at in my journey, my lack, my desires, my needs. And I mean, so this is a very subjective opinion. Um, for me, the worship was really huge for me. Okay. Um, I, I have a hard time with Christian worship on so many levels. It, it's hard for me to worship at church. Um, not, not my, well, not my church intrinsically. Actually, we have an amazing worship leader, Noah Beamer in our church. He's, 
I, I just, yeah, I don't what, what, off what, track, is it, but what is it that makes it difficult for you? I think there could be two, there could be three elements. So aside, let's just, aside from my church, cause I, I travel different yeah. churches and stuff. There's three elements. There's one, um, the, the way worship is led. Number two, the content of what's being done, the songs and stuff. Um, and number three, the response from the audience. Yeah. Um, so here, all three of those were off the chart, authentic and meaningful. The content of the songs, the way it was being led, Evan and Tanika just yep. killed it. And then the response from the audience, I just felt, I was in the front row, but they could have stopped singing and I would have needed earplugs with everybody, almost every hand in the air. Not that I know I need that. They could no. have been. They were engaged. They, 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 there, there, was was, there, was a, there was a deep, deep, meaningful proclamation of the supremacy of God like I haven't felt in in a long, long time. Okay. Yeah. Even so, like, uh, we, we went to church today, and, and Noah led worship and did an absolute off-the-chart... Just So he had the, the, like, the heart. He was worshiped on stage. It was powerful. The songs were great. Um, the response in the audience... I mean, it's, it's, it's... You know, I live in Boise. It's just, it's a very kind of... Re, it's more reserved and, like... Um, it just, it felt for me, I was sitting in this, almost the same spot and it felt, the audience felt very, very different. Yeah. Very different. Well, and especially and again, in, yeah, in contrast to a group of people that are coming together. And again, it's the kind of that, uh, Mount of Transfiguration moment, right? Where there's something really special happening among yeah. us. A lot of times there's, there's more energy in a setting like that. If it's yeah. being led well, yeah. if the content of the music is good or the, yeah. you know, the, the lyrics are leading you somewhere, and church just can tend to become mundane for yeah, everybody. Yeah. Oh, here's what I know about myself, actually. I, that, I might have just realized this now. I'm significantly infected by my community. Who's around you. Yeah, some people are like, no, it's just me and God, me and God, me and God, me and God. I'm going to worship God, whatever. I don't even see anybody else around me. I'm like the op- opposite of that. Like I I guess maybe, maybe it's my ecclesiology. Maybe it's my personality. I don't know. Like I'm such a... I'm not an individual. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tiny piece of this body here. So if, if the body isn't doing something, I can't, it's hard for me to, to, to do something. Like, it's really hard, you know? So, um, and I just, I don't know. I just, I've been just kind of jaded by just evangelical, mostly white kind of style of worship. But mm. I know too much about people behind the scenes in the Christian music industry. I know about the, 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 the involvement of money. I, I know about worship leaders. I know about and uh, lyrics and what it's just, there's so much, you, you, so much stuff there that just, it's hard for me. And so, um, the industry side of the it, industry side of it. And I, 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 I want to balance being honest, but not speaking too negatively, but I just, I don't know. And, and also like, I don't, I've kind of giving up conjuring up emotions that aren't arising naturally. Okay. Um, and this one, I, you know, I, I had a very emotional worship experience, and it was 100% felt like it was out of my control. Do Evan and Tanika, I guess, I didn't even ask you this, are they together normally? Do they, do, are they a band so of some kind? she goes, they, uh, Tanika goes to his church. Okay. Um, I don't, I don't know if she, I don't think she's like the worship leader. Okay. Um, I'm sure she leads, and Evan sometimes leads. He, Evan's a pastor, he's not the primary worship leader. But, I um, see. Okay. I, I think, I would assume they've done it before. <laughs> I, I, Tanika does, like she, she um, as far as I understand, 
apologize to Nika if I'm not getting this right, but I'm pretty sure that she, as part of her ministry, she leads multicultural worship. She like this, this was her cup of tea. I see. This was not out of her. This is what she does. Okay. So talk about that then. You, you yeah. already mentioned this, that we sang, uh, and, and it wasn't in, I appreciated this because it was not in any kind of a weird way mm-hmm. or a forced mm-hmm. way, but we, you mentioned that we sang in different languages. Yeah. Swahili, French, Spanish, and English. Okay. I and English was always up there so yeah. that we knew yeah. what we were, what we were yeah. singing in the other language. People actually really participated in trying to sing in other languages, yeah. even yeah. without, you know, probably speaking those languages. What's yeah. the value in that? If I, if I was a past, if I had to kind of control I would never have a worship service again that wasn't like that, ever. Explain ever, that. Ever. Um, it represents the kingdom of God. It's a foretaste of heaven. It's, it's a primary goal of why Jesus died, to gather this multi-ethnic tribe together. And I think ethnocentrism or, eth- or ethnic monism is a huge, quiet, underlying um, hindrance to our discipleship journey <laughs> and one easy easy, 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 easy way in which we can open up some categories is by constantly singing in other languages. Mm. Um, it reinforces ethnocentricity, Anglo-centricity when we are only singing in English. Americans already have a huge problem thinking we're the best, everybody else is, you know... Um, well, they're poor people over there and oh, they're needy and they don't do the right theology. Like we have such a, it's just, it's ingrained in our bones. Anglo-centricity, is that even the right word? Anglo-English-centricity? Like, like the fact that we speak English, is like, well, that's kind of the, like the main language. Everything else is like foreign languages. No one okay. thinks of English as like a foreign language if you're from America. So right. anything we can do to just spark some kind of disruption yeah. to loosen up these shackles that we have to ethnocentrism and anglocentrism and maybe even white centrism centrism um like i, th- I think this is a, a low-hanging fruit that doesn't take a lot of effort yeah. um, to make people feel a little uncomfortable to, to remind them that god's kingdom is global to remind them that statistically at the growth of christianity in, in the global south by 2050, one out of every five Christians in the world will be white. That will, you know, so singing a song in English with a bunch of mainly white people, that's going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that exists. Wow. Oh, that's, a, that's really yeah. unique. An, an like, outlier. <laughs> It'll start to feel like an outlier. Yeah. It's so interesting. because Do you have I've, any thoughts on that? I mean, is well, that... I've grown so accustomed. This is what, I, what I'm thinking as you're saying all that, and I don't disagree with you. But what what we've grown accustomed to um, doing when we hear that we're trying to break away from Anglocentricity or the, just the way white people do it, there's a knee jerk reaction to say, "Well, you're dogging on white people again." So there there's something bad or something wrong with being white. There's something wrong with this being a normal to us. And I, I think we need to get away from that immediate reaction and that defensiveness to say, "No, did, did yeah. you did you hear what?" Preston just said that this is actually a biblical reality that we need to get more in touch with, that there is a diversity. That yeah. it's not because it's trending or it's being forced on yeah. us by some political element. It's going to be what heaven is. It is right. what heaven is right now. And yet we're so unfamiliar with anything other than our own comfortability. Because mm-hmm. we would say the same thing 
if there was some uh, if there was some other language that was so central to us that everything else seemed like a foreign language to us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah, we're saying yeah. English has been kind of the, the centerpiece, and everything else feels foreign. But what if French or Spanish was the language to us that we had grown so accustomed to that everything else seemed secondary? Yeah. We should intentionally yeah. break ourselves of that a little bit. Yeah. Is what yeah. you're saying? Yeah. yeah. And, and if anybody said, "Oh, you don't like white people," it just, I don't know. I don't want to say the other because nothing I said even implied. No, they that. didn't. But you know that's. The, oh yeah, people you know that's that how way. people respond. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the knee-jerk reaction is to get yeah. defensive. Oh yeah, yeah. I just I, I've given up on coddling people's stupid ways of inter- not stupid. I shouldn't say that. Can you edit that out? Not stupid, just I, coddling people's interpretive sensitivity or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and half the songs that were in other languages were also in English. I sometimes I tried to sing another language, like you know Swahili. Swahili is, you know, obviously I'm like, well, this is really unfamiliar. So sometimes I would just sing in English. Yeah, me too. But to hear some people doing the Swahili, seeing the Swahili, there's just something symbolic going on here that's just powerful. So yes, I, yeah. I don't think, I mean, and I'm not opposed to this sometimes, but yeah, I think, you know, if you're leading a song in a different language, ha- have the subtitles there. For sure. Yeah, just like we would do if we had a bunch of Spanish speakers that didn't know English, you know, we would have Spanish subtitles. I would say... We should probably go back and forth on that. But, okay, if you sing them all in English, at least have the subtitles there. You did know? you find that it made you more conscious of what you were singing or at least paying closer yeah. attention? I, I did, too. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I was much I more conscious that. of what I was singing. Yeah. I was, when I was, you know, uh, singing in a different language, I was focusing on what am I saying in English. It just made me more mentally engaged yeah. with with the process. Yeah. I originally wasn't going to do worship. Well, not that I wasn't going to do. I just didn't. I was thinking, oh, I was just going to be an intellectual conference. But I was like, yeah. I, I think we should do worship if it's led right. And immediately I said, I will not do it if it's not multi-ethnic. Mm. If, it's, if it's just going to be singing the same kind of uh, the greatest five hit songs in white evangelicals right now, I'm like, I'm, I'm not interested in that. I wouldn't yeah. do that. I would well, do no worship. It definitely that. wasn't that. But I would say this too. The songs that they picked, and again, maybe this just goes into the gifting. Maybe it goes into God blessing it. But they were songs that even if you weren't familiar with them, they were easy to participate yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes songs get picked that are different or not, not, not the usual top five, and then nobody can sing them. They can't engage them. Mm-hmm. But it didn't feel that way at all. It just seemed yeah. like in the more time we were there, the, the more the heat in the room raised, yeah. you know, oh the, the, that you get when everybody's singing. The worship was my... And again, I hate I hate picking out a favorite thing. It's like, what, you didn't like the speakers? Which is the, you know, I was blown away at literally every every talk. Um, I mean, Derwin Gray... <laughs> I can imagine going to Derwin Gray's church and hearing him <laughs> preach every Sunday. I can see where people... I can, he, okay, I'm not, a, I, I'm not like attracted to preaching. I don't listen to a lot of preaching. You know, I, I don't know. I kind of like, after you've been around for a while, you're kind of like, I've heard good preaching, you know. I would never go to church because of a preacher. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would go to Derwin's church just to hear him preach every... Like, oh my word. Oh my word. So I was blown away. All, I, But I, maybe I was expecting that. Yeah. And there was no surprise there, really. As much as it was off the chart amazing, I was like, I, I knew Derwin was going to be Derwin. Well, that's, that's why, why I you put were him asking last. him. Yeah, that's, yeah why. that's why, I, you know... Um, but the worship again. I even that I expect to be good, but I didn't. I didn't know it would be that. I, yeah, power. I mean, power. I don't know. I don't have a big enough word to describe 
my experience. Well, when you mess around inviting people to sing in different languages, you don't know how that's going to go. Yeah. And people yeah. may just say, you know what, I'm not doing that. I don't yeah. feel comfortable with it. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. Yeah. That's just That was not the spirit in the room at all, so I can yeah. see that. Anything else that stuck out to you as we've been sitting here that, that just kind of marked you? Um, a couple surprise moments. I knew I wanted theological depth, and even like I, I specifically got, I wanted Sandy to go, bring us exegetically deep. Pick a passage, pick, pick two passages, and drill deep. I knew I would like that. I didn't know how that would go with everybody, especially when you got, you know, really good preaching and, and, and motivation, you know, kind of talks. There were also obviously intellectually sophisticated, but to get a scholar in to do a deep exegetical dive and to have people blown <laughs> And she, she, and I, I've heard Sandy, so I knew she'd be clear. But it was just like, oh my word, you took us deep. You showed us that going deep into the text doesn't mean we lose out. We should be on the edge of our seat. Yeah. And the response I got from her, I mean, you sure heard like Street M's and Ellie in the back. They were like hooting and hollering, and they were like yeah. taking notes and stuff and blowing. And then during the dialogue, her image of God thing, and they just feel the audience <laughs> say. I I rich this is what rich clear theological reflection looks like it is it is worship and that's so I was really excited about that even the hell talk you know I've said it several times I said at the conference I was most nervous about that I knew I would enjoy it I'm into the talk, conversation I love all these word studies but it seemed like people really were tons of people taking notes and trying to follow and like they were into that they so were that um, yeah, and Sandy's time was right before lunch. It was right yes. after we had just had a ton to think about because of the, the sexuality and gender mm-hmm. uh, talk and conversation, and and yet she she was entertaining. She, she was. She was I, funny. She was funny. She was very normal. She was like somebody's mom. <laughs> like many several times referred to her kids, and you don't usually like think the, of a Hebrew scholar. <laughs> Being what she was to us, it was just it was wonderful. Yeah, and then Jack. Okay, so I, I, I knew Jackie would kill it with her talk. I mean, I've never not seen her kill it. Thoughtful, poetic, courageous. Yeah, that's the one. Whenever Jackie L. Perry, courageous. When I want a dose of courage, I, I want to. I'll plug in Jackie L. Perry. Um, my conversation with her, I thought that that might have been one of my most enjoyable. Because here's this, I mean, God, rock star. She would hate if I said this, but whatever. She's a rock. She's a rock star, right? Yeah. Did you say that? She's a rock star. Yep. She's a genuine Christian, so she's not t- chasing celebrityism. Like I wouldn't say that about somebody who's. I could tell they they like the stage a little too much. Jackie doesn't need to ever be on stage. Like she. No, you could tell. That. No, 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 no. She would rather be with her family, Which hanging out. Which is part of what makes her a rock exactly. star, quite Exactly, frankly. Yeah, she doesn't need it. But she, she's, you know, a gazillion followers and everything. She, every, you know, she's, she's a rock star. Um, to have a genuine, just friendly conversation with her, I guess maybe that encouraged me. You know, just to hear her say that she loves my podcast and she considers me a friend. I mean, yeah. I know we don't hang out a lot, but we've done a few things together. Yeah. And, like, that. that's just, it. that inspired me, dude. Like. Yeah. So here, Jack, it's like having a hero of yours say, "Hey, I really like. I've learned from you. I appreciate yeah. what you're doing." And, and we could banter around as friends and stuff. That, yeah. that was, I was elated, man. I was like, 
Yeah. yeah, you could tell there was a there was a personal aspect to that where she <laughs> she digs what you do and how you do it. Uh, yeah. But you also could tell she was into your mission and your purpose, yeah. and she wants to support that and wants to be a part of it, even as an extension of what she's trying to get mm-hmm. done, right? Mm-hmm. So I definitely felt that. I appreciated that she said a couple times, I don't know. I mean, people were bringing in yep. questions, so we didn't even talk about that. How oh, yeah. are we getting questions for the panels and, and, and the conversations There's you were a There's a text and Q&A platform, Slido. If you've heard me speak, you've probably heard, seen Slido, where the audience texts in a question, and then they vote on questions they want us to address, and the most voted on ones get pushed to the top. Yeah, very cool. And yeah. great questions. Oh, I had access to, to, to look <laughs> at them. I mean, just really, really, really good questions. The kinds of questions that should evoke, and I don't know sometimes, yeah. from even from yeah. scholars and experts, yeah. they're just such good questions. It's like, I need to think about that one a little bit more. She flat out, I don't know. Yeah. I was waiting for her to kind of like, you know, because I've done that before. I don't know. But here's 15 thoughts, you know. Well, like, I was going to say. She just said, I don't know, and she looked at me. I'm like, what, what next question? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> it's not like she probably, of course she could have had an answer, but she recognized, I think, the complexity mm-hmm. Of the, I don't even remember the specific question, but I remember thinking, that's a complex question. Mm-hmm. And I don't know is a really good answer. Let's start <laughs> there, and we'll work our way from I don't know and see what we can come up with. I still felt that. I think I did. I feel, did I answer? I might, or do we move on? You, Maybe you, no, you did. <laughs> I probably and didn't know either. And and I, it was I still felt the need to say so. And she said, I'll take that. Well, we owed, owed the audience some kind of an answer, right? I mean, there's, some, there's something to think about with it. And I thought what you said, again, I wish we could remember what the exact yeah. question was, but I thought what you said was, was right on. And she was like, that's good enough. Let's move on to the next question. Because <laughs> there's always context to all these questions yeah. too, right? Everybody's yeah. got pictures in their mind and anecdotes yeah. when they send a question like that. And you're trying to guess, like, what, what is the need that we're trying to meet here with the answer? Mm-hmm. But whatever. It was great. Mm-hmm. All right, so now let's go. Would, would you have done anything differently? In hindsight, and again, just kind of fresh off of it, were there any things that just kind of popped you saying, man, we definitely got to do this next time, or I wish we had done a little more of this maybe, or use the time differently? I, I mean, if I thought really hard, um, there was one... Okay, I'm going to share a personal moment here. This is, um, I would like to hear you, because you're, 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 I guess, somewhat part of this. The race conversation. Um, one, two, so two black men, if, if you include me as the host, two white men, and then a, a black woman, Kimmy. And she was probably the most quiet on the panel, and I'm kicking myself. I really wanted to. I thought of this the second we got done with. Actually, I thought of it towards the end of our conversation, and it just didn't. I don't know. It didn't seem right at that point to ask. But I wanted to turn to Kimmy and say, Kimmy, and maybe she maybe she'll listen to this. This is what I wanted to say to you, Kimmy. I wanted to say, um, I want your honest thought here. How do you feel about being on stage as the only woman here? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you feel apprehensive to talk? You have. A rock star pastor to my right, Derwin, yep. who has a thousand thoughts, who, and everyone's good. You, you know, both of you probably had a gazillion thoughts on every question that jumped up. And I'm, you were even kind of like, I'm going to try and let somebody else talk here. And Derwin's like, I, I, I got a sermon here, but I'm going to let you know. But, you know, you jump in. 
Um, the BD was more the season, you know. He's the sage. He's the Gandalf over there, like waiting for everybody to talk. Then he b- preaches a sermon on Ezekiel out of his back pocket. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he did. That's intimidating, and yeah. I don't know. I don't want to assume. I don't want to assume anything. It's a genuine question. Is there some context here where this has been a common experience mm. for men to control the conversation and for women? I don't want to say especially a black woman born, you know, who's only been in America eight years. I, I don't even want to. That would be maybe a question I would have. Does that play a role? If not, okay, I don't want to make any assumptions. But like, yeah, I wanted her. I, I really want to ask her like, hey, I, I'm. I, but then that, that could also put her on the spot too and make her uncomfortable. But like, I want to say, hey, does this feel, do you feel like you're, you're actually giving a voice here? Or do you feel like this is a typical experience where men are constantly jumping in and doing a talk? Did, yeah. you, did you, do you have any thoughts on oh, that? Is that, I mean, is that was, valid for me to ask? I don't even know if I said anything stupid in my question being raised, but that, that's where my mind went. Yeah. And I don't know that it wouldn't Cause necessarily. Cause she's a, she has so many thoughts. Dude, I've talked to, she has so many, every one of those questions she had thoughts on. <laughs> she did for sure. It would have been an interesting conversation if we could have stepped away from it, even age-wise when you think about yeah. it. I mean, she's in her early 20s, Yeah, and, and yeah, I think Derwin told me he's about to turn 50, 51. I'm mm. 54, and the BD's older than us. And so, you know, just that that whole dynamic. And I actually, I did ask her afterwards. You did? I asked her how she felt. Now that I think about it, I did ask What'd her. What'd she say? She, she said that she was... Um, challenged by what was being said i didn't actually ask her if she felt like she couldn't get in now that i think about it i wish i had asked her that but she said she actually was was um encouraged by what was being said here's my question myself that's not the same thing as what you're saying yeah no or asking no here's my if i and i'm maybe i would have done it if i question whether i should have done anything did i set her up for that i'm the one in charge of inviting people yeah, but gosh, I I would I do it. I don't. I would not. I would. I wanted everybody on there. Maybe added another, maybe older season female that, or something that, that they would have a strong voice. Or, fair again to even ask. Like, Kim did I to, say? Did I? Did I actually set her up for that? Like, am I partly? If if she deep down did feel like, yeah, I'm not. What am I going to do here? Like, I'm kind of set up to failure. Is that on me? That's that's a genuine question. That that next year I'm going to really think hard about when you maybe wouldn't even notice it till we were all sitting up there i didn't sense it till we were all on the couches and i was thinking about even my own order like you know what what is the order <laughs> lead all, the white guy leading well it. what all, all these people and are going seven to, minutes over <laughs> <laughs> edit that out that's that's gonna haunt me for the rest of the year mm. yeah i went long in my 18 minutes <laughs> That I was given, uh, but once we got to the couch, you you just you definitely since the dynamic that you just said you got you got two white guys, you got two black men who are preachers who are used to you know ha- having the, the center stage, mm-hmm. and rightfully so, and you've got Kimmy, who who does have great things to say. I loved her on your podcast. I told her that, mm-hmm. but she's got to feel some kind of dynamic yeah. pressures from that. And, and she's in a, she's in a journey. She's in a process. I love, I love her mind, the way she's processing the race conversation. She too has a ton of courage. I don't know if you've spent time on her YouTube channel. She, she's bold and courageous and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. She's not willing to say stuff unpopular. And then she'll say something else. Like, so she might gather this kind of crowd because she's 
you know, saying things they want her to say. And then she'll come around and say something else. And she even said she's her, it hasn't her YouTube has kind of plateaued because she keeps losing people because she gets this kind of audience. They're like, Oh yes, you know, say that, you know? And then she'll like, she, she had a great YouTube where she says, I hate CRT. Mm. I can't stand it. I feel so dehumanized as a black woman with this, you know, whatever she went in, it was really thoughtful. And then she said other things that are a little different than that. And, and, that's what I, that's what I wanted to hear because she's not in some little box that, you know, everything she's going to say is going to check off all these boxes of this camp, whatever. Like she's a, she's a thoughtful, um, independent thinker. Yeah. Um, so we didn't get that and maybe it wasn't set up well for that. That my my one, my critique of that time. And again, I was participating in it, but as I separate myself from it and just look at what happened, it, it, we, it, we might have been better served by having a strong, by, by having her say that she hates CRT mm-hmm. and let her go down that path of why, kind of like she even did on her podcast. But I think I set up for filler. You have you, the BD, Derwin didn't really touch on it, but um, that, that's intimate. If, if I was in her shoes and, and I knew deep down if I had some serious questions, or I'm not sure I agree with that. Am I going to voice that here? But she didn't necessarily and, and also, know what we were going to say. Yeah. She could have done it in her time, in her 18 minutes. Well, we, so I, I actually asked her, here's ahead of time. I'm like, do you want to talk about this? Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about how you used to be? See, I hate the term woke, but you used to be kind of woke, and now you can't stand that, whatever. And like, um, uh, and or do you want to do forgiveness? Because forgiveness is a huge thing for her. And that's what she, she went she with. She said, I, want, I would love to talk about, yeah. talk about forgiveness. So she picked a topic that kind of... Wasn't controversial, shouldn't have been controversial, really. But um, uh, for this audience, I think it would have been interesting if there had been more of a contrast between CRT gets a bad rap and kind of the angle that I was messing with yeah. versus no, here's why it gets a bad rap and it should. Here's the negative, here are things that actually do represent CRT. Here's why they can be destructive. Yeah. Yeah. So. But, I thought everything that was said was 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 valuable to the discussion, uh, but it, there was not enough of a contrast for there to be any kind of a debate about it. Yeah, it looked like the viewpoints were more, all the viewpoints were more in line than they might have actually were or or could have been. I mean, do you think, I mean, I, I, I did. I asked Vody Bachman if he'd come out, and I mean, you know. Um, do you think did. that would have been helpful for that conversation to have somebody voting who's going to be very outspoken is going to say some very different things from everything else that was said? I, me personally, would have enjoyed that, but I, would that? Do you think that would have been a win or if, not? Really, this is what I thought about. It, so I want to tell. I want to. Here's. Yep. I want people to know that there is a a spectrum, a wide spectrum of viewpoints among intelligent black thinkers all of whom hate racism, all of whom think slavery was an absolute atrocity, all of whom might even say there's lingering effects of things like redlining and all these things. Of the big picture stuff they would agree on, yet there's a wide spectrum of diagnosing the problem. What's the solution? How deep is the problem? Is there, like, and that, that, that's really what I wanted to represent in the race. And I don't know if I did. I feel like it, it did seem like, it did seem a little more monolithic than I was anticipating or wanted. Was, yeah, is that- it, yeah, and you introed it that way, but that's not necessarily what we delivered. Mm. I would say, yeah, we we did not. Like, I think people would say, "Where's the difference here?" Yeah, there was no, yeah. there was not necessarily a difference. And again, the Beatty wasn't even. I didn't feel like he wasn't trying to make any major racial statements. He he mm. was. 
he was saying you've got to get your theological story right mm-hmm. to even understand what's happening sociologically. Okay, so he, he spent a lot of time just Who can argue there. with that? Yeah, you need to understand the story that you're supposed to be get yeah. caught up in, in God's story. So, no, I don't think there was enough of a contrast with that time. And you, you, when you mentioned somebody like uh, Avodi Bakum coming on, if, I think if we were going to do that, it would be better served to do it on Saturday morning where it really is set up okay. to be a yeah. dialogical interaction. Yeah. We're we'll about to do that next year. Uh, well, I think that could be a question that we even ask ourselves here. Like, what, what would you do hmm. topic-wise next year that we didn't get to? Or how would you spin the topics that we did differently? Because you really could do the same things. And I'll say this just so I don't leave it. There were a bunch of people, maybe some of you that are listening, that came up to me at the conference and said they gave me examples of where things being done in the name of CRT, let's just say that, um, uh, were very negative experiences for them. Yeah. Okay? And and so yeah. understandably so. So I just, I, I was even yeah. kicking myself because I, I said that a theory, once it's born, goes in search of application, and sometimes that application is positive and healing, and sometimes it's really negative and it's terrible. And these guys had experienced lots of terrible applications of things called CRT. So it might CRT. not be the CRT per se, but it's the fruit of CRT, would you say? Yeah. Well, what Some I, spawning of a... What I wish we would stop doing again, this podcast is not for us to go back and fix all that. I wish we would stop in the church using CRT as a label for okay. the things that are happening. Let's ditch that term. Not ditch it, but let's... Yeah. Let's not slap on it. Slap that on every... Attempt race. to address race. Anything to do with that race. You don't like. Or, yeah. Anything to do with race gets called CRT. Yeah. That's what's agitating because CRT is something specific to the law and critiquing what's going on in law. That's why people who know what CRT really is gets, get agitated by how now it's become an umbrella term that annexes everything that has to do with race under CRT. And that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. Where, it go, where things go bad is when progressive politics or other agendas get attached to, the, to, to a, a race issue. That's where things start to get messy. And I don't feel like we talked about that. Yeah. That was I think my, that, that would have been interesting to talk about. One of my questions I had written down, I was, I was a couple of times trying to ask you, but then our conversation kept going elsewhere and then it, was, it wasn't time, is, um, Ed, what are some things that actually are ECRT that you would say these are, in my opinion, wrong and destructive? Because you, you kind of hinted like, hey, there's good, or there's bad, or whatever, but the way it's being framed is a caricature, it's BS, it's BS, everything you're saying now, which I fully agree with, but you do know CRT, you know what CRT actually is. I would love to know like when you read certain aspects of CRT where you're like, yeah, that's not, that's, that's well, so, not So right. for example, when, when critical race theory says we're going to center white or black voices or people of color voices... Uh, and not always assume that white voices have a corner on all truth, because that that's where that idea came from in the first place in the 70s and 80s, that definitely at that time, black voices were still relegated to a secondary status in a court of law for sure. That's what those guys were fighting against. So they said, no, we're going we're gonna to legitimize and validate the black experience, the black subjective experience, and we're going to start putting some weight on that. Okay. And a necessary corrective, a just correct corrective. Well, so now here we are 40 years later or whatever, and I've been in situations where the black voice is right no matter what yeah. in the room. Like that, there's it, some it, moral superiority invested in the skin color yes. experience, which... 
Or the white voice is always wrong. Yeah, that's mm. the flip side of it. The white voice is always wrong. And I've heard enough yeah. anecdotes of that to say, well, no, that's not just. Mm. That's not right. That's, that's that, that precept or that tenet, that idea that comes from original critical race theory taken to a negative extreme. So that would be a part of critical race theory. Where I would say somebody with the lived experience has, which I, I do see part of that. Like they do have more on homosexuality. Somebody who is actually gay does have something unique and more informative to say than I would when it comes to the experience, not when it comes to understanding necessarily sexual ethics, biblical anthropology or whatever. So, but, but so CRT might say, no, Unilaterally, they they have more authority to speak on anything related to the race. Well, I'm saying I'm saying I'm, I'm saying that the real CRT would not say it that way. Would not say that unilaterally they have more authority. Oh, they wouldn't. Okay. They wouldn't say they have more. They would say they have authority that was not being granted before. That's what I'm saying. Authority that was, in understanding the experience or understanding economics, like no, the, <laughs> the experience. So when we're talking well, about something, I think that's fair. But I think it is too. But how, that, how is that not fair? I mean, that's. But it's one thing to say, "Here's a reason for the economic downfall," or, or you know, the the position that many African Americans find themselves in. Um, that that's an econ- that now that spills over into economics. That's when like Thomas Sowell, who's an econ- economist, <laughs> when he says, "Here's the financial trajectory we've been on for fifty years," like it's because he's an economist that he brings something more value to say than than somebody else who's not. Agree, but if he, but but if you want to understand the pain of experiencing ongoing kind of racial discrimination, racism, racial discrimination, like obviously the experience, subordination next to a black person, he's describing his experiences. He brings way more to the table than I do. Saying, "Yeah, no, here's my experience. <laughs> what am yeah. I going to say?" Like, anytime uh, ideas make their way to an extreme place, they go bad. Mm-hmm. For people, so again, whether it's critical race theory or any other theory, if it goes if if it goes to an extreme, that usually is going to be bad. It's going to be unjust. Mm-hmm. At least that's a conclusion that I'm coming to. So all that to say, guys are experiencing that, but we didn't really talk about that, you know. And I think that could have yeah. been a that that could have been an interesting debate to have and just put that out in front of everybody. They're just not. I mean, all the topics were complex, but I would say. The race, well, race and sexuality, gender. The sexuality and gender, we weren't trying to unpack a full. It was more like more story driven by, it was. by purpose. But yeah. the race conversation was framed as a more, a little bit more of an intellectual. Um, but there's just, I mean, gosh. Yeah, we scratched the surface. What else could we do in three hours I know. with a complex conversation like that? No, and that's why I just hope people didn't leave more frustrated than satisfied with any of these sections, uh, because it, I guess, I guess, yeah. what do you think people's expectations were? Now that I think about it, you, have, are you going to do an evaluation know. of any kind to send I out? I don't get, know, maybe. Okay. Yeah, just I to guess. get feedback on. For me, everything is just like I mean, theology in the raw is twenty percent of my work week. <laughs> got, okay. People don't know. People don't even know that I actually have another full time job. Oh, what is that? 
I, I'm the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. Okay. <laughs> people, actually, people thought, oh, yeah, I thought you give some talks. No, like I'm, I run a, a... You're not a figurehead I, I run a massive or, organization. Yeah, no. I mean, and I have so many people in place that run, you know. So, yeah, that I, it's allowed me to spend all... you know. I, so I spend Tuesday. Tuesday is my Theology and Raw Day. Okay. I typically do three podcast interviews. I upload them. I send them to my audio guy. I write the summary. I... Um, I plan the schedule. I invite new guests. I go to my YouTube channel. I schedule some posts, and then five thirty hits, and I'm coming home. And that's that's it. Like I don't have time in my um, so um, oh so all that to say like evaluation. Sure, it's like okay, but even that like how do I I gotta write this email, contact this, do this, formulate the questions, and well maybe um, we can get somebody to do that. But what do you think people were after? What what do you think they were? I f- I feel that th- this hopefully this is this is just based on all the people I talked to okay the my sense talking to people who talk to people that I think people weren't a hundred percent sure they knew what they were getting into okay but they came because they most people listen to the podcast yeah and they knew they weren't going to know what they like it was uh, the vibe of the podcast is we're let it go we're hanging it out goes. we're having conversations yeah. and um yeah we we yeah so. It's the first time. So I, I also want to um, – this is a minor detail. This is so minor. It's worth – but, like, even things like, you know, I just heard today that, like, the coffee person, the company we invited, had, like, one iPad or something to charge people. Okay. I'm, so th- this is a pet peeve. Here's two yeah. pet peeves of mine. Yeah. If I want to be able to walk out and get a cup of coffee within 10 seconds <laughs> – Give me, give me Folgers. Give me yep. an IV drip. I just, I want some caffeine now. And yep. if I can't get that, that is frustrating for me. Okay. So I really, I know it's a technical detail. It wasn't even really on us. I mean, we didn't, we just had this uh, good friends of ours who had this coffee and they brought like one person with an iPad or whatever. And they the ran experience. out of coffee. Yeah. And like, I'm like, well, wasn't there at least free coffee? And like, what do you say? I forgot we decided not to have like free coffee. Cause why would you have paid coffee and free coffee? And yeah. like, um, I hate powdered creamer. And even like in the green room, we had powdered creamer. So I didn't even yeah. drink the coffee. I didn't. I was like, I, can I bring? I'll bring my own house. Like I hate powdered creamer. Okay. What is this? Nineteen eighty four? Like what? <laughs> like come on! Like it um, affects the experience. Yeah. The number one thing that gets complained about at at Family Life's Weekend to Remember conference is yeah. that people don't have access to quick coffee. Exactly what you're yes, saying. Yes. Yes. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And real cre- real creamer. All right. Real creamer and de- good coffee. Don't lay that watered down crap. That's like, come on, like. Um, so that I know (laughs) my friend Jay Newman, he had, he, I mean, he took a huge, he's just starting this barbecue business. Yeah. They, he does. I mean, they don't make a lot of money. He might be shutting it down after these last few days. Well, he took a huge, he, nobody knows this. He broke down in Kansas. Did you know this? He, his smoker busted an axle. He drove and he says, I think angels were holding my axle together because, my smoker should have been toast in no. Kansas. They happened to get gas and look back, and the axle was like hanging on by bare threads. Okay, I did not know that. They were delayed by 24 hours, had to pay for, you know, whatever. He comes out. He didn't want to buy too much meat and be left. He didn't want to be left with meat because, one, what do you do with that? And number two, that sinks him financially. So he even bought that tent. Uh-huh. That tent. He bought that for this. He bought a spy. He, he invested all a few thousand dollars into, okay. you know, like taking a risk. His wife sends him off. He's got three little kids at home. He drives from Nashville here. This was a big, 
Wow. And pe- I don't know what people know, but he had to sleep. He had to 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 meet the demands. He had to sleep all night. He brought Stayed a cot right yeah. and a and a and a and a sleeping bag. He slept two hours a night because he had to keep throwing wood in the fire. Also, he only smokes with oak. That's what that's he lives by oak. Okay. There's no oak in Boise apparently. He's like, you guys don't have any oak there. Okay. So all that wood was apple. He's like, I, I apple's okay. It's not what I'm used to. Also, apparently the humidity. Humidity affects the temperature of the fire, affects the smoke, affects the meat. He says, this is a very dry climate. I'm used to smoking in. And he gets bombarded with these people, and he's just not prepared for this. Wow. And so I know if people were, I would have been, I would have been upset. Like a wait in line for like an hour during lunch. I put my pre-order and didn't get my meat and stuff. And so, um, again, that's not, um, it's not like I, you know, it's just it's our first conference. We're trying to figure it yeah. out. I'm trying to make an authentic experience with the with this smoking meat for 48 hours. Every time I walked outside, I was like, "My word!" You had I to take a shower. Right you had to take oh a my, shower every I time to go you walked out. In it. I wanted my clothes. <laughs> I wanted to soak my clothes in that smoke. It was so beautiful. It was. Um, but I know even that. Like so, even next year, he's like, "I think I'm gonna literally buy a bigger smoker and just I'm I'm, I'm gonna be more prepared next year." Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how the lunch trucks did. I don't know. We we had um. Oh, here's another thing. We we bought probably I don't know how many hundreds of dollars, maybe a thousand dollars worth of desserts for the after party. Ah. Uh, no show. Where the desserts? I didn't get any dessert. No, no cheesecake. Okay. <laughs> Chris is on. The, my wife's on the calling, calling, calling. Nobody's picking up. No desserts. Huh. What happened to it? I don't know. I don't know. But that's it's, and I know, I know probably most people, most people, maybe some people are like, yeah, go out. <laughs> exactly. That's why I'm not coming back next year. No, but like, those are little, I, I, I hate it when stuff like that happens. Yeah. It drove me crazy. I was actually angry in the back room because I saw this little creamer for my coffee. I'm like, I'm not drinking coffee and putting creamer. Somebody go get me some, ha- I'll go get it. I'll go, I'll drive to Walmart if yeah. I have to. People are like, no, no, you're the guy. I'm like, then somebody will give me some half and yeah. half. You know, and I didn't hear people complaining about it. Maybe, again, you know, now that I think about it, putting this out <laughs> on YouTube, maybe people can fill the comment section with, with their advice and what they wish was different and whatnot, and you can get feedback that way. But I didn't sense people were having no, a frustrating I didn't. People time were with the unbelievable. food. Unbelievable, yeah, yeah. But maybe they were. It was the, great food. I will say that, Jay. It was it was amazing. excellent. If you got to actually get it, it was great. The bathroom situation, the church, I don't, you know, church Ooh. was built. That was tight. Thirty years ago, and they have like two bathrooms. I don't. I don't even porta know potty, how that met. Go- so we did get a couple porta potties. Yeah. Even that. I think next year we'll have six to ten porta potties. Because that's another thing. Yeah. That, that's a. It's a minor detail, but if you're like, I don't want to miss this talk. I don't want to miss this talk. But I really have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. They announce a break. You go, and you're like, there's a line out the whatever. Yeah. Or even, can I get really explicit? <laughs> well, you, you, yeah, you can. It's, yeah, what happens all of a sudden? You drink a little too much coffee, you had some spicy food, and you got to go number two like yeah. 10 seconds ago, and you go and there's a line. It's, or you go and it's kind of, you know, some bathrooms aren't very private, and the last thing you want to do is just go and destroy the toilet. Man, in front nobody of wants to go like, in a porta potty. Nobody wants to go number two in a porta potty. And then, I, I would rather do that than go in, an, in, a, in a stall where they can. If anybody looks up, they can see you and they're just people are right the there. Yeah, no, it's uncomfortable, man. Yeah. So anyway, like that, right. and that's yeah. Anyway, that's food, <laughs> toilets. No, that, that's all legitimate. And I wasn't, you know, I didn't go back there a lot during the breaks. Now that I think about it, and so maybe that really was more frustrating to people than 
than what we felt. They kept coming back pretty quick, which is interesting because I feel like every time we started a session, it was pretty full it right was, away. Yeah. yeah. I know the parking's not the best, but people were, they were there. It was great. Yeah. yeah. So it's good. The question, though, is what do you hope they were, <laughs> what do you think they yeah. came there hoping to get? I even said the audience. I think I, even... I think fifty percent of my responses. I don't think they knew what they're hoping to get. I think they. Here's the most. Let me let me get personal here again. Um, I almost had an emotional breakdown, which is not that's not that language never comes out of my mouth. For whatever reason, God has created me very stoic. I, I I'm an emotion. I'm a passionate person, but I don't get down. I don't get. I don't get like, I don't have emotional breakdowns. And I hate, I don't know how long, or an hour and 10 minutes in. Um, I just talked to so many people. I'm going to, I'm going to, I talked to so many people that shared with me with tears in their eyes how listening to this podcast has saved their faith. Hmm. Some people would even say saved her life. Um, I talked about half a dozen same sex attracted females, lesbians that are on fire for Jesus. And they all told me from listening to the podcast, talk to people that have been sexually abused by pastors, elders, parents. We're going to throw Christianity out. One person is part of like a Christian cult six months ago, listen to the podcast, um, talk to, a um, some, I think Mennonite l- women with, um, a skirt, ankle high skirts, yeah. head coverings that yeah. said, I've been faithfully listening to your podcast. I flew out here from across the country and, um, thank you for which, I mean, and I, I hate, so I almost don't want to mention cause I, I don't want to pat my here that, that I almost that Friday night, you know, doing the thing all day. I, I'm on fire from the worship and the certain. I, I, my mind's reeling and the go and hang out at the after party, and talk to person after person after person after person, people I've never met, may never even see again, to hear that this. You know, here you are where you're here. This is what I look at this. Yeah, you got an unfinished <laughs> ceiling yeah, here. You can't that see. paint jobs crap over there on my basement. I've got a cement wall over here. I've got my, what is it? My elliptical machine. I got a sock over there. Like this is just a unfinished basement. I come down here and hit record and have a conversation with people. And to know that something in my mind, so simple is doing that. And it's one thing to hear one person, one person. And, and, and to be honest, I mean, I get those emails pretty frequently but the look in the face, the look in the yeah. humanity of people yeah. sharing their stories, it's like the the emotional weight. It's like it's it's almost like I don't know how to describe it. Like it's it was so overwhelmingly encouraging that it almost just I just I I, I had to I don't know if people noticed, but in the, in the after party I. I um, a good friend of mine, you know, kind of saw, he saw, he saw me and he kind of looked at me and said, and I was able to say, Hey, Oh, I need to go talk to my friend. I went, I went into the room and I just said, Hey, I just, I need to sit here for a second because I just feel my flesh just like, it's just, it was so overwhelming to me. 
in a good way, but in, in a in a crippling way too. Can you I you're can you unpack can you help well, me understand that? Well, what what am I going through there? Let me ask you this, Preston. What is it about the vibe of the podcast? What's going on on the podcast that you think people are tapping into that makes them say, that's helping me, that's setting me free, that, that is saving my life, it's, it's keeping me in the church? What do you think is happening in that it's space? It's hard for me. I would almost want you to answer that because for me, it's just, and I, I'm just being me. I, just, I'm just, I like to have interesting conversations. So I email somebody and say, hey, this book looks interesting, but sometimes I read it, sometimes I haven't, or hey, you tweeted something that sounds provocative, or, you know, like my last podcast, at least, I don't know when this is going to come out, but, you know, Dwight Hopkins, he's like a world-renowned expert on black liberation theology. Yeah. I have an idea of what that is. I've had a decent experience reading James Conan and stuff, but I always hear how it's just the worst thing, in, you know, ever. Um, and so, like, hey, why don't I email the black liberation theological expert and say, hey... Let's spend an hour. I want you to explain it to me. Yeah. Um, and it was a, it was a, I was like, oh my word. First of all, he's a wonderful man of God, super humble. I mean, dude's got two earned PhDs, two earned PhDs and three master's degrees. This guy's a brilliant thinker. The fact that he even said, yes, sure, I'll come in your podcast. He doesn't know me from that. I don't think he knows me. Yeah. University of Chicago professor. Mm. I, I, I grew in my Christian faith in the Alan conversation. But all it was a conversation. Yeah. Do you know how easy that is for me to have a conversation? You know how hard it is for me to prepare a sermon? Oh, dude. Take me 20, 30 hours to prepare a decent, halfway decent sermon. Even then, it might not be well. How long did it take me to prepare this? Well, I emailed him. He said yes, scheduled it, had an hour long conversation. Yeah. So I, I don't, but here's what's all in, encouraging, but also discouraging. Obviously, it's encouraging that people listen to stuff like that. And for whatever reason, they're like, Oh my word, this gives me hope for Christianity. That's encouraging. That's equally discouraging. What in the world are we doing in the church yeah. where that is profound? Yeah. That I, it makes me think like you, you can't just do that. At, obviously, you can't have like the world renowned black liberation deal, you know, but like to listen in on a conversation and ask questions and dialogue and that gen, just a genuine curious dialogue like that, like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I grew up in a context where that's discouraged and you've given me a small light of hope. Like that feel, I feel like that was kind of the theme over and over and over in all these conversations. And I'm like, I just, I, I don't, I don't know how to process that. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I, I mean, taking a stab at it for myself and what I feel what I sensed from other people that I was talking to is that we just live at a time where people are not given permission to be um, honest about their own mess. Hmm. And that mess looks like a lot of different things. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not given, we're being forced all the time to become fundamentalists, either progressive fundamentalists mm-hmm. or conservative mm-hmm. fundamentalists. Again, whatever labels we want to put on it, it's to be locked into a position that then doesn't allow people to be accepted anywhere outside that position. Okay. And you, what you Mm -hmm. do is you go to people that are on both sides of, you know, they, they take up sides on both sides of the middle and you're okay with going in there and talking about it. You give people permission to be in process, to not have to have it all together uh, and to not have to, 
embrace a label that that just makes them feel stuck and smothered. I felt like people could could breathe. And you're an anchor dude. You know, this is one of the things that I've realized about you, Preston, even as we've continued to have conversations over the years, is that you, you've got some lines drawn around yourself. You, you've made some choices yeah. about what you believe about different things. You're not just being tossed to and fro. By I'm super opinionated. I mean, it comes opinions. out here and there. but <laughs> Yeah, and you've, you've said it yourself, that yeah. you come historically from a conservative background, and you don't reject every yeah. bit of that at all. No, Your no, Christianity no. Is, is, is what I think would be called orthodox, and yet... In that your your love is expansive huh. for people, and your willingness to value people's stories without rejecting them or judging them or trying to fix them uh, is noticeable. And that's the part that I think mm. back to you know what what does it come to that you can't hardly find that anywhere that you have to go to a podcast, for example. Mm-hmm. And that you don't necessarily always get that in your church. In fact, so many of these people, I think, got the opposite in their church experience. Mm-hmm. They got rejected. They got forced into some corner. They they got judged. And that, that's not yeah. the spirit of the gospel. So I think you represent the spirit of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I wonder if part of it, too, is I, I've, as much as I have, you know, kind of a, a de-churched, tendency turn offs with evangelical Christianity. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had my own kind of, I maybe shouldn't, I shouldn't say this term, but I'll just say it. Cause that's what I do. But like, you know, I've had my own kind of deconstruction of certain yeah. ideas and this and that and read things, you know, so I haven't had just a, you know, pie in the sky church experience, but I've never really experienced spiritual abuse. Okay. okay, let me let me back up. I've never experienced sexual abuse from a elder. Yeah. Never experienced physical abuse from a pastor. Okay, so that's I know that's probably fifteen percent of our audience right there alone that I, I I don't I haven't had that experience. But then I've never really had spiritual abuse. The stories that my audience tells me, my Patreon supporters, you know, because we have a lot of dialogues and stuff. When they describe some of their church experiences, I'm like. What planet? This is insane. Yeah. Insane. Um, so I think maybe because I've been spared of that, it does, I don't know, maybe allow me to have these kind of free-flowing conversations, and you know, without fear of repercussion or whatever. And I also wonder, I, I've, I've often questioned, because my podcast is so independent. It's just me. Me, my wife is you know, involved with kind of the organization of it and stuff. I've got, you know, Miles, my, my, my sound guy is amazing. Does all my social media. I've got people that help out behind, but it's really just like nobody. I have whoever I want, have on. I never have to check with anybody. I don't have a board. I don't have any, you know, like I don't, um, and that could be dangerous, but it also gives me the freedom to, I have no fear of like, I could have the devil on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a stretch. I shouldn't say that, but like, yeah, I, I don't have, and nobody would, nobody would even know until it got published. Like, I wouldn't. Yeah, I guess Miles would know who, who does my audio stuff. He might say, "Yeah, I don't know if you should have Satan on again." Like that might, mm. he, he, yeah, he might push back on that. But even he, like, he, he loves it. He loves it. He, he's like, he's right. He's a hundred percent where I'm at. Anything I send him, he's like, "Ah, oh, that was interesting." You know, he's like, yeah. so I don't have anybody that's like, "No, you should do this," or "You shouldn't do that." You shouldn't say that. You know, there, there's been times when, when you know, Chris will, she might listen to it. I, I, I might lean a little more raw and real, and, and she might. There's been a couple of times she's like, I don't know. 
do you need to be that personal? You know, like we do have a family and, and stuff. And like, there are certain things that does that the whole world need to know, you know, this detail or whatever. And, um, and I think that's, that's a healthy, that is a healthy balance. Um, okay. I mean, but how about let's state, state the obvious though. You have built this platform on having a ministry that, um, engages a people group. And again, I hesitate trying yeah. to find what the right language is, but uh, folks who are will admit that they are same-sex attracted, sure. folks that say they yeah. are gay, that they are lesbians, that they're homosexuals, whatever, again, whatever the right yeah. wor- words are even, which is a which is a subset of the population that mm-hmm. has been soundly rejected mm-hmm. by most people in the church. Yeah. Okay? Absolutely. Huh. And you... Um, as a white male heterosexual coming from a conservative background are an outlier in saying, I'm going to love you as a person. In fact, not only am I going to love you, but I'm gonna actually going to go to bat for you yeah. on things that I think you need to be stood up for. And that just doesn't happen very often, Preston. Even in the race yeah. conversation, it's one of the great... Um, one of the great pain points, I think, for black people who would align with the world of evangelicalism, that too many white evangelicals too often do not stand with them about issues of justice and things that they legitimately could stand with them on. It doesn't mean nobody ever does, but it's just it's it's rare enough that it really stands out when somebody is willing to do that yeah. uh, with a marginalized population or a group of people that tend to be rejected. Yeah. And I think you've said, no, I'm going to stand with you. Yeah. And I'll even fight for you. And there's something to that that's super attractive when you've been in pain and when you can't find allies and you can't find anybody to stand with you. Don't you think there's something to that? Yeah. I guess it's so, yeah. No, you're probably right. It's it's helpful to hear that from you. Because for me, when I look at like my involvement with the LGBTQ conversation, I've learned so much about Jesus about friendship, about grace, about resilience, about marriage <laughs> from hanging out with LGBTQ Christians, you know? Like, it's just, I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. This, yeah. is, this is my talk at Revoice last fall. I was like, yeah. you know, for much of my trajectory in this conversation, it's been me helping the marginalized, me helping the other, me helping. And even that can have a... Yeah, yeah. It can pick up this unintentional condescending... Yeah, there's something smelly yeah, about that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I, after a while, it's like... And I, I was probably maybe, I don't know, maybe three, four years ago, probably even longer than that, where I just, I began to realize like, no, I, I'm, I'm the student here. I'm, I'm the disciple here. I'm learning. Like truly, like when I hang out with celibate gay Christians, and I'm going to say that and just, whatever, you can like that phrase, figure it out. But celibate gay Christians who are, are so sold out to Jesus that they are committing their lives to celibacy. And yet, mm. friend, non-erotic intimacy for them is an essential. Guess who else that's an essential for? Every freaking human on earth. I was going to say, okay. trick but, question. But, but how many straight, heterosexual, married Christians know that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, 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 we've been sold this bill of lies that, oh, no, you can find all of, all of your needs in your marriage. And then that's why marriages implode. Like, you know, they just, you need intimacy am, among other believers and people and community and friends and everything. And I, I didn't, no one coached me on that. You know who coached me on that? That really core need is celibate gay Christians. They did, yeah. Yeah. 
They're like, yeah, yeah I, if I don't have community, I, I'm done. Yeah. I need intimacy. I need authentic. I need to be able to say, hey, I watched porn last night. Hey, I, I, I can't stop masturbating. Hey, I'm, I'm addicted to alcohol. Hey, I'm, 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 I'm doubting God. And, and they need to be real and, and, and cultivate intimate um, relationships because they can't, they, can't, they can't survive without that. But we all can't survive can't. without that. Yeah. I can't pour all that. I can't find all that in my wife, my spouse, but I was kind of told that I could, not explicitly, but um, marriages. You talk, you ask, okay, next time you, ne- I want you to, you'll do this. Promise you'll, well, th- do this next time you meet a girl and a guy, young Christian couple who's engaged to be married and say, we're getting married. Okay. I want you to ask this question. All right. Why? <laughs> <laughs> But right. we love each other. Well, I love my kids. I'm not going to marry my daughter. Like, why are you getting married? Yeah. And then, you know, if you, you get the guy or girl, you know, I kind of want to have sex legally, you know, all right, that's fair, you know. Um, but their the- theology of marriage is so anemic. It's, it's thin, yeah. I want you to ask my friend Tony Scarcello, who's same-sex attracted, who's been married for eight years, why he's married to his wife. I want you to ask Lori Krieg, who's same-sex attracted to women, who's married to her husband, why they're married. They're going to give you a Genesis to Revelation response because Mm. they've had to understand, okay, what is the meaning? Here we are. I'm not attracted to that sex, but I'm committed covenantally. I'm covenantally committed to them. Why? Why are we going to keep forward? They've had to ask a deep theological question. I've learned more about marriage, theology of marriage from talking to my friends who are in what's called a mixed orientation marriage. So, Anyway, I, you know that scares that scares people to hear you even say that is a scary. Why is that? It shouldn't they, be. Well, because yeah. we're fundamentalists way more than any of us want to admit that we we are we are we are taught to be. Let's just say this because I'm not going to get myself in trouble. I'm not, I'm not going to. You know, I know, you're, a, I know I'm you're going to get a Will Smith slap here, and I don't <laughs> fully know what I'm talking about. I want to be careful with the gender sexuality thing. We just don't love people well, man. That that's yeah. just it. I'm just I will, I think I can say that comprehensively that why that's such a huge theme left for us in the scriptures is because by our our regular nature we don't do that well. We judge really well. Yeah. yeah. We do. We hide our own sin and we judge other people's sins way easier than we love them by moving towards other sinners. We just don't do that well. Cuz for you to even say you've engaged the the sex and gender conversation, the LGBTQ conversation. Mm-hmm. There's very few people. You know, how do we make these kind of summary statements? Most people don't do that. They don't engage the conversation. Yeah. That's true. They that's don't true. meet real people. Yeah. And, and some get people into are doing it. it really well, but that's a tiny percentage. That's right. So, all that to say, I think that's why people are attracted to a space where that's at least being held out to them. It's mm-hmm. at least being dangled to say, you know what. It's safe for you to come in here and not be immediately rejected the moment that you share a sin struggle. It should be the church, right? I mean, we say that should be the definition of church everywhere. It's not right now. And so wherever we can find it, we hold on to it and don't want to let it go. Mm -hmm. I felt that at the end of the conference. I felt very emotional with it ending the other day because at least in my mind, I was saying this is a space of people that have they hurt for different reasons in their life and they're clinging to Jesus. That's why they sang so robustly. Yeah. yeah. They're still trying to learn yeah. about issues together, but they're safe to be here. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think that's what you represent to people and what the podcast represents. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Keep there, doing it, man. There are some people there, man. That's a great, really interesting audience, man. Friend, friend of mine, <laughs> um, transitioned 15 years ago. I'm not going to say her name. Um, she, she, she wouldn't mind, but transitioned 15 years ago. I'm trying to figure things out. Ma- uh, male to female. Um, beautiful soul. Beautiful soul. Um, and it's just passionate about finding her way. She actually read my book Embodied, and now is just rethinking. She's just like rethinking her choice. Or, or I don't. Just I don't even know what to put. Word. She's just like, wow, this is a complex. She's genuinely trying to figure out what does it look like to follow God faithfully. Okay, Nate. Nate, do you, I got a small handful of people close to me. Well, I mean, that that they're genuinely asking the most deepest hard questions. What does it mean for me to follow Jesus faithfully? Um, met a, um, gosh, girl from Montana, same sex attracted on fire for Jesus. And something, I think it was a podcast I did. She got a hold of and massive impact. Talked to, um, somebody on the East coast flew all the way out here again, same sex attracted female young, like 20 or something that I think she even said like your podcast saved me. Um, and I mean, it's my podcast, the, the podcast, yeah. because my podcast is has hundreds of other people on it, you know. So it's not even it's not me. It's 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 the space that it's, you're creating. It's the space. That's yeah. thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, and another person I saw, Kyla, shared mm. her story. Yeah, Kyla, my friend who transitioned several years ago, detransitioned, madly in love with Jesus. She's so nuanced and careful and passionate. She said she had tons of conversations with people who came up to her and just. Yeah. One person for like an hour talked to her and just didn't want to leave her presence because she's like, "That's that's I'm, you're you're, you're me." Um, I mean, I could share story. I, 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 I'm obviously trying to be really vague, so I don't want to. And yet, in an know, audience um, of a thousand, again, not that it matters one way or the other, but just even as I think about what I saw there, I mean, not everybody was gay, not everybody was no, self, no, same sex attracted. No. There were a lot of male female couples there. There were a lot yeah, of. Yeah. It just was a, a really yeah. a crazy mix. I say crazy just because you rarely see this kind of progressive mix of conservative. I mean, when <laughs> it somebody, was all together. There was a lot of the snap, the progressive snap. You know, <laughs> yes. that's the snapping clap. Yeah. You know, yeah. And there were things said that like you hear a lot of snaps. Other other conservative things said, and you hear a lot of you know. Claps or however conservatives applaud, yeah. <laughs> like and, and but they loved each other. Like I feel like they they were ha- they weren't like oh my gosh. There's I feel like they appreciated the fact that there were there there was a spectrum of beliefs here. Um, the non essentials are we we want to root our beliefs in the Word of God. We want that we believe in the supremacy of Christ over all things. We believe in the orthodox creeds of Christianity. Yeah. We want to worship praising Jesus because we all have a story. We have brokenness. We have hope. We have redemption. Like there's such key themes that united the people there. I hope I'm not making this up. I mean, you guys listening, you could, yeah. you know, in your own heart say like, yes, that was happening or no, you're full of crap. You know, like I sense that that was kind of, there was, there was a spectrum of views there. Yeah. There was a gay married couple there. I don't know if you, like a two mm. men that were gay that came and, okay. um, or one of them came, I think. And, and, you know, and I said clearly where I'm at on that. And that, but I, if you don't believe in that, you're 100 percent welcome here. Yeah, you said. I'll that have a drink with the other after party. You know, multiple times. Um, okay, so I mean, this is getting a little long, so maybe this would be our yeah. Last, let's let's bring us home. Yeah, our last yeah. moment. We got dinner here. to go to, man. We got a burger we, to eat. We, we got to eat more. <laughs> this burger is this burger joints. Can't wait. <sighs> Peanut butter bacon burger. Don't bacon. want that. Okay. Don't know. 
not putting <laughs> peanut butter on my burger. It's not peanut butter. It's like a Thai peanut butter sauce. Ah, no? no, it's not me. They get, they got some wings. Amy will want that. Amy will, okay. my wife Amy okay. will like that. Okay. They have a great beer too. So one of the things that crossed my mind is, man, would all these people hang out with each other next week if they found each other in different parts of the country? Would 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 they would they keep the spirit alive? right yeah would they keep the spirit alive that we experienced there if they found Mm. each other somewhere else in the country so that that's one thing that i was just dabbling with but maybe a better question even to ask you is what do you hope people will go back out and do now that they are back off the mountaintop you know there's this this almost a false experience that gets created in a a summer camp camp. yeah it's a summer camp totally a camp experience which is wonderful but then you got to go back to real life Mm-hmm. What do you hope people go back and do with all that they experienced? That's a great question. See, here's I, I haven't I don't have this like written out. So let me um like I haven't really thought about that before. I, so much of this has just been us kind of in the moment shooting from the hip kind of um I but I, I, I have thought about that in the last twenty four hours between my sleep and naps and Yeah. <laughs> more sleep and more naps. Um I think one so summer camp. I think venues that have nothing but heart and emotion tend to be a little more fleeting. I do hope that the com- the intertwining of head and heart would produce a little bit longer of a trajectory of discipleship influence. I hope some people, even as you listen to this podcast, maybe you're already down. You flew home. You got in a fight with your spouse. You found out your kids were cheating on their homework, whatever. You're, you're just in, the, you're just in the, 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 the warp and woof of life, and you're just like, I just need to survive. I need to yeah. get home and disciple my kids or just be a Christian today. And, you know, like, so, but there's, there's things that are implanted in you, too, that may not take immediate effect. That might just, they might pop their head up once in a while. So I think that's going to happen. What I, what I hope, my, my alt, so that, that I would be happy with that. I, I expect that. I, I don't expect this these three days to be to people to be living on that high until next year when we do this again next year in Boise. Yeah. Um here here's I I did have several people say, hey, I I I have courage and a framework to do something like this in my sphere of ministry. I had like youth pastors say, Gosh, we need we I need to be having these conversations with my students and I'm going to do that when I get home. Okay. I had pastors say, "Wow. Gosh, like give a talk and then go on a couch and have an interview dialogue like yeah, good. maybe I can do that in my ministry." Um, wow. So wait, I can tackle the sexuality conversation? I mean, we even said like if you're not, you're being irresponsible. Yeah. You know, even things like that. So I I do feel like people that have a sphere of influence, which is everybody there. Everybody there has some yeah. sphere of influence. Maybe it's one friend. Maybe it's 2,000 people that you're pastoring and everything in between. Everybody has a sphere of influence. My ultimate goal was that would be that people feel empowered, encouraged, challenged, and that they were given a framework to be able to do something like this. Not, not theology and all this, but being able to have the hard conversations with grace, humility, humanizing people who disagree, like just doing the essence of what we were doing and whatever that looks like, that's, if I get some, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying that I get some emails and messages and stuff from people saying, hey, because I attended this, here's what I've done and here's some fruit. That that would be 
if I hear one story like that, that would be a major win for me. Yes, sir. You think? What, what, totally. Yeah. If you were but my what board I, chair, like, what would you say well, should be the result of this? What I just heard you say was that you hope people will will at least want to go have these kinds of conversations, right? Where we'll, we'll bring truth, bring some kind of content to the table, and that we talk about it yeah. with each other, especially about difficult stuff. That's what, I, that's what I'm hearing you say, that they wouldn't be afraid to go into these hard spaces where real people live yeah. and be ministers, Really, take on the identity of a minister, no matter who you were yeah. or how you think about yourself, to go home and be a minister to other people by creating space where this can happen. A word you didn't say, though, that I would add is hope. I just feel like hmm. hope was a theme, especially as yeah. we got towards the end. Yeah. In, a, in a cultural moment that we find ourselves where there's so much hopelessness, where, where nihilism is more the vibe of the day, hmm. right? Yeah. Where... The political climate, the church climate is just—it's discouraging. It—it mm-hmm. it is publicized as discouraging. Let's just say that what we see in media, social media, are messages that suck the hope out of you. The gospel message and the the, the way that I heard people talk about God and talk about God's kingdom and talk about mm-hmm. the gospel in these last few, few days made me want to be an agent of hope hmm. to other people whether that's other believers or other unbelievers, to kind of break free from the narrative of hopelessness that's out there and say Jesus really does offer a better way. And it, and it feels like this. It feels like a place mm-hmm. where you can be safe to be yourself. Yeah. And I'll be myself. Mm-hmm. And again, it seems so simple, but it's, it's hard to find. So go mm-hmm. home and be those kinds of people. Yeah. That's what I got hit with. By, by the time we got that's to the good. end, that's what I felt. That's a great word. <clears throat> yeah. Because there's a lot of discouragement in the church, you know? There um, is. People feel like there's, there's, there's no hope of anything better, different. I want something different. I want something more authentic. I want to have these conversations, and I just don't feel like they can have them. And, here they, and I guess maybe it's one thing if they just came and watched on stage, but they were with 1,000, yeah. 1,100 people from all over the country. 50, all 50, did you know all 50 states were represented? Well, between the virtual and in person, all 50 states were represented. Did not realize that. Wow. <laughs> Wow. And the world. We were having questions from Tokyo. Some of the questions were from Tokyo. Um, some were from France, Africa, um, New Zealand, all the place. So mm. um, to show that you're not, maybe that's so, so combined with the hope, you're not alone. There's a okay. lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people who want to be, have this kind of church. So we got to go get that burger, man. I'd mentioned that peanut butter bacon. And- How can people get access to this content? Is there some way still to do that? Yes, yes. Um, so uh, those who attended virtually, I think they have a seven days to watch it. Um, but I think we're actually going to close. I think we might, might have put a cap on that. Yeah. So we ha- we hired, wasn't cheap. Everything we want to do, I want to do it with excellence. So we hired a really good film crew to film the whole thing with different angles and everything. So they're going to spend about, it's going to take about six weeks of editing and then we're going to release a digital version of the conference that isn't just, it's not just the virtual, you know, just the one camera or whatever. It, it's going to try to mimic the live experience with close-up shots, different angles, okay. yeah. um, nice. It's going to be presented really well. You know, these guys okay. are amazing. So that should be done, I think, about six weeks from now. So people can, and I think we're going to make it in bite-sized chunks so that people can kind of purchase, like, the race three hours, the sexuality three hours, whatever, yeah. just in case they didn't 
weren't interested in the whole thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the Theology in the Raw website, theologyinraw.com, and then, uh, yeah, look for that in six weeks or so. Sounds good. Let's go eat, man. All right. All right.